right, I'm back with Germination Live, and I have a very special show for us today. Of course, I have my uh, world-class, world-renowned buddy and pal and partner in crime, Adam Nussbaum, with me today. <laughs> and um, a very special guest, is Jim Toscano. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Where am I? What? Am I on the show? What's happening? You're on, baby boy. Uh, Adam, <laughs> welcome again. Good to see everybody. I want to, uh, before we continue, let's hope for a nice Thanksgiving for everybody. And uh, let's continue to hope for some uh, tranquility in this world. <laughs> that would be nice. Absolutely. Yes, but Absolutely. that would be something to be thankful for. Yeah, man. Now, I do have a show planned. My idea is we can talk about anything on this show as long as it relates to drums or drumming. And I do have a guest coming up that's going to... We're going to tackle this Middle Eastern thing because of bands and music, musicians who play together who are maybe Israeli and Palestinian or any other kind of configuration that drummers or musicians have been hip to for 100 years. And uh, we hope the rest of the world catches up with us <laughs> in terms of brotherly love. That being said, that's a future show. Jim, how are you, sir? Thanks for having me, man. Really appreciate oh. it. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You feeling uh, good. Make no bones about the fact that you've been ill. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's, uh, it was a long year uh, going through my crazy cancer journey. Um, as many drummer friends have in the last couple of years, including this here guy. Gotta, yeah. gotta show the love. Special love to Dom. The last show I did was a yeah, tribute man. to Dom. and. He yeah. was a friend to the entire industry, never saw him without a smile on his face, the most enthusiastic, eager, uh, world ambassador for drumming we've ever had, probably. 100%. I mean, really the glue, I think, of, like, the drum community and every, you know, as I always say, he's the, he was the center of every drum event on the planet, practically. Yeah. And, um, and you know, to, to that point of being the glue of the community, I think... I've met you originally from an introduction from Dom, probably early 2000s, maybe, at a pace. I got involved with a cymbal company in 2004, so it's right. probably shortly after that. I think it was 2006, maybe. And um, I don't know. You know, every time I, there, there's sort of this six degrees of separation. Every time I think about somebody I've met, it goes mm -hmm. back to Dom somehow, right. you know, in one way or another. So, and same for, for you, Adam. I mean, we met really in passing at PASIC a few times. And um, so PASIC is also one of those important things to our industry that brings a community together besides all the educational stuff and all of the gear, of course, but it's that it's making these connections and relationships you know so exactly plus yeah. I, i've always been a big fan of pace because that's the one for drummers to go to that's the one at nam uh the manufacturers are there to sell gear to dealers it's a dealer conference yeah. and the public's not really allowed unless sometimes they have a, a public day but that's not the focus focus of the show PASIC is about drummers there are presidents and vice presidents and product guys and artists everybody's at their booth there to talk to drummers not totally. to mention the education aspects of it where and the hang and the social camaraderie and all that. It's it's just a beautiful drum love in. Yeah. The hang is you know, the hang is what I look forward to every year, you know. Yeah. So in fact yeah. when I sold my company I realized I didn't sell my friends. <laughs> you know, I, I right. still have to go. And uh, I saw Barry Greenspawn in one of those, man. You know, he used to have uh, Drummer World in New York and I 
And I said, uh, Barry, uh, what are you doing here? And he said, I don't know, man. These are my peeps. Yeah. You know? Yeah, man. You, you never walk away from that part of it. Yep. And I met Adam through this whole thing as well. Anyway, Jim, you have a, a kind of a three-pronged career going. You're an artist, a drummer, of course. Uh, you are an educator, and we'll talk about your book you have out. And you're also a media consultant. Is that the best word for that? Yeah, I would say um, media consultant, sort of the idea, my my idea of branding, sort of a multimedia education platform, you know, helping drummers to sort of bring together audio and video and, you know, kind of being able to wear all of your hats that we do in this industry within your drum space and how to do that efficiently and at a high level. So, yeah, so... Well, you have some very distinguished clients. Who are some of those? Uh, yeah, so I, I, you know, really Dom was my first client. If, if I, you know, go back many, many years, uh, you know, he was teaching online when, uh, when it was sort of like a can of soup and a string to the next guy's house. And, um, and then, you know, I started to learn from him, oh, I can do this, this teaching thing on the internet. And I started to put together a multi-camera setup with a very raw security, you know, closed TV switcher and, and, uh, and then, you know, proceeded to give Dom all of that, um, sort of upgrade to his studio. And, and we kind of worked together on that. And then he just kept recommending drummers to me. And so over time I've really helped you know, all of the local drum teachers. So my clientele base is tons of drum teachers. So I work with drum teachers all the time. And then during the pandemic, when everybody was not touring anymore and going through some, uh, some challenging times, um, Dave Weckl reached out to me and David Garibaldi and Stanton Moore and Joe Rosenblatt and Carl Allen and just on and on Carmen Apice. So I just started helping all these cats get their they're sort of tech on for their online teaching programs. And, um, and it sort of blew up. I mean, I had magazine articles about what I was doing and, you know, PASIC did a piece on me. And then I got invited to uh, do a clinic last year at PASIC um, teaching sort of the, the ropes of what I do here, which um, people think I'm absolutely bananas, but I, I rented a truck. I took my, my kit, I took um, video screens and a switcher and multi cameras and all this audio stuff. And I drove out to Indianapolis from New York and set up basically what I do in the studio here on stage to give people that sort of experience on the fly on the big screen behind me, which was, was great. It was really a great experience. And people still come up to me about that clinic, you know, a year later at PASIC, they're like, man, that clinic last year was great. You know? So it's nice getting, you know, sort of that feedback and, you know, and I'm helping drummers. I mean, Absolutely. let's face it, that's that's what we want to do. So, Well, yeah. we sort of started on the technical stuff. Let's do that for a little bit, but I do want to cover your career as a drummer and an educator. Cool. And Adam, of course, you're free to jump in at any time. Um, how important is this? I mean, you know, you have people say, eh, you know, I don't care. And others who... Uh, and also there's a different standard for teaching and for students as well, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I think that it's important. I don't think it's, you know, the end-all, be-all of, of what we do, obviously. Um, but, you know, for people that needed to shift and pivot and, you know, build this online presence, um, it's, you know, if you look at 
technology now and social media, everybody is just putting stuff out there all the time. And you're competing with, you know, kids that have their stuff together. Um, as older guys, you know, we kind of had to figure it out. And, um, and sort of social media has sort of become the medium that people go to to discover talent. So there's these different levels of it, right? And, and I think if, if you find this to be intriguing, you, first of all, you have to kind of like the idea of technology. I will speak for David Garibaldi. Like he does not like technology, <laughs> um, not a friend to him and he doesn't want to really deal with it. So I've made very simple setup for David right? Um, something that he could learn really easily. You know, we always make a joke about cables and dongles. He's constantly ordering a dongle. He doesn't, you know, he's freaking out. Um, I hate the dongles. I hate the dongles. You gotta hate the dongles. I, I had an idea for a, for a show. Um, there's, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on what the second word was, but it was dongles and something else <laughs> as, as like sort of a presentation show. Um, Doggles, bangles, and beads. <laughs> nice. and dongles, yeah. <laughs> you know, we could we could open a store with uh, dongles and bagels. You know, uh, being in New York, but yeah, um, free Wi-Fi, dongles and bagels. <laughs> but you know, it's sort of um, it's I think it's become sort of you know commonplace first of all, and and I think that if you're able to sort of embrace the technology a little bit, you know. I try to make it as simple as possible to teach mm -hmm. this stuff to people. And I think that it provides an opportunity that maybe we didn't have before. For instance, if you used to have your students coming to your place and then the pandemic happened and now it had to switch to online after the pandemic, now you have that option. Okay. The student can come in, but if it's snowing and can't get here because there's too much snow on the ground. Let's just jump online. Or I, I kind of have a cold. I don't want to come in, but yeah, we can jump on a Zoom call. So you know, it kind of increases the the uh, availability of people, yeah, if you or will. The guys in Tokyo, you know. Exactly. So you know, I teach internationally. I'm teaching you know in all these different states every day. So you know, you have to keep track of time zones. That gets tricky. But um, <laughs> you know, it's sort of. Uh, you know, something I, I had done before, but, you know, much more now. So I'm I'm 95% online uh, and maybe 5% comes into the studio. I've gotten to where I most prefer teaching online. Yeah, I mean, um, it's... It, I've got you know, cameras you, everywhere and monitors everywhere. I'm totally comfortable, electronic or natural, or you can share screens. You can uh, punch yeah. up all these books you want via Hudson Music. Yeah, the Hudson Music online. app, you know, have a screen capture. You know, I do the same thing. I have side mm -hmm. view, yeah. overview, kick view, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I have cameras that move on tracks, you know, all kinds of fun stuff. But um, but let me ask you this. Audio is more important than video, right? I mean, yeah, they yeah. They say that people will put up with grainy video, but not funky audio. Yeah, yeah. For, so the funny thing is, uh, for instance, you know, I, I've helped a lot of Nashville guys. I was helping Rich Redmond put together a mm -hmm. setup. Rich is a great guy. Love He's him. Got a great show. And it's really well done. Technically. Great show. Yeah. Yeah. Jim there with him too. Yeah. And so for, for teaching online, you know, I always suggest this gizmo on my head, which looks like, you know, basically I'm doing sports announcing or something, but the, the sound of the audio is clear. It's good. It's easy to do this. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, the, this, this audio technica thing, I can throw the mic up, um, pull it back down. And, you know, uh, Rich Redman would break my chops and be like, Hey man, I don't really dig that, uh, helicopter pilot. Look, you know, he's like, I just want to go with the lav mic and the, and the ear, earbuds. But, um, you know, it's, uh, I think audio is hugely important and, um, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, give me slack for this, but it's, I, I totally believe in getting on Mac, um, over windows. And there's reasons for that when it comes to audio, just as far as the online thing. That's one of my questions. And uh, having a good Mac, interface. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, because, you know, I, I, I always make the joke. I'm like, you know, Oh, you, you have a, um, you have a PC. I'm like, do you own a pool? They're like, yeah. I'm like, all right, throw take the PC in. outside in the backyard and throw it in the pool. Um, when when and, I first got involved in this stuff, uh, you know, Mike Snyder, he's now at Zildjian, but he's a, he's another tech guy. He worked for Roland forever and yeah, designer, uh, sound designer, all that stuff. Great guy. Good friend. But um, when I first started, I had a PC and I just couldn't work. He said, you know, I just spent a thousand words in an article trying not to say, just get a Mac. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I did and everything worked. <laughs> <laughs> I used to, you know, hold back and I would be like, well, you know, it's, it's okay. And then, you know, after a while I was like, screw it. I was like, don't get a PC, you know, just get a Mac. It's going to be easier. Um, just for the fact that multi-channel audio shows up on a Mac, on Zoom, on Skype, on all the platforms. Exactly. So you, you I, can't I, do that with a PC without bussing down to a stereo feed. So right. without getting I, too technical, I, I, just you to know. interrupt you for a second. I, I just did a learned how to do this thing with my student on zoom where they can use garage band, right. Right. And open a channel for their drums, whatever mic they're using there. Another one for a track they're playing along too. Cause so much media has uh, play along tracks, send them both into zoom. And I hear it in real time when they're playing along. Yeah. That to me is just amazing. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, eventually I think it's not there yet, but eventually the, the idea of actually playing with someone in another it's city or yeah, state it's, is coming, but it's, coming, but not it's been coming for a long time. Right. And there, there was a point where there was this little box. I don't even remember the name of it. It was a little red box and it was like 300 bucks for each one of these boxes. And it was made by this company that you would buy the box and then you would have a subscription to their website mm -hmm. and it would connect you with someone, you know, further away. But the problem is uh, you would have to constantly sort of resync. And if somebody had slower internet than you, right. they couldn't really get on board. And that's really the problem now, you know? So, you know, I'm on a, um, a wired connection, um, I buy the fastest connection that I can afford from, yeah, from too. my provider. And, you know, then you'll have somebody that's on Wi-Fi and sort of working with an iPad or something and, mm -hmm. and it's just glitching out and it, it does become very difficult. Right. But to that point, I do try to teach my students and give them sort of a guide on what their setup should be compared to, you know, mm -hmm. my educator friends. So well, let me ask you this, cause I, I, this is two points of view from, two very uh, established world-class artists. One is a student told me, I took a lesson with such and such. I didn't really learn anything because the sound was so bad. I couldn't make out what was going on. Um, Mike's, you know, bleeding and uh, yeah. clipping and everything, you know, the scene. Yeah. 
And the other one was another world-class guy who said, you know, this guy was quizzing me on the net before he took a lesson from overseas about all my gear, and it just uh, irritated me because I'm yeah. a world, you know, I'm a, I'm who he was, and I don't need to deal with that, you know. He, he's too focused on on gear. So that was almost offensive to him. So yeah. both of those guys have a point. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. It, it gets, it can get touchy, right? Um, it's, but I think, you know, there's, there's levels of doing this, you know, obviously I've, I've been working on my studio for a very long time to put this together. It didn't happen overnight. I didn't just go right. out and buy, you know, oodles of gear and just make this happen. I've been refining and testing things. I mean, I would buy things that, I would try it out for a week and just be like, oh my God, this is terrible. And then, and then sell that and then try mm -hmm. something else, constantly trying to refine it. Mm -hmm. But there are, there are levels of it. I mean, if, and, and budgets, right? We have to always consider someone's budget. Maybe, you know, there's that. one, there's that, right? So I've had a student recently that's trying to get their online setup going and they're like, I need to be able to get um, a setup all in for under two hundred dollars or under a hundred bucks and i'm like yeah. wow this is going to be challenging but yeah. i have some ideas it's and doable. so it's doable at a minimal level yeah yeah completely um and then you 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 how much do you you know you always want to upgrade right once you open that can of worms you just want to get better stuff so i'm looking at my rig now and i'm thinking this looks okay i could do better my dslrs don't work for video for t they time out do i want to go out and buy three new v uh and i said vcr didn't i dsl <laughs> uh, uh do i want to go out and buy three new dslrs and uh lenses and all and how much better is it going to be right when, uh, whenever I'm on meetings, I used to do a Monday night meeting with, uh, it was just for world-class drummers and industry guys, the kind of people I felt you usually had to pay to get access to. Okay. So I didn't have it open to everybody, but 50 or 60 drummers came by over the course of the time and they could just drop in and out. Uh, but nobody really, uh, of all these great drummers and industry people, nobody really had the kind of gear that like looks fantastic. You right. Know, it was all just that. And then I was helping a woman running for office a, a year in the last election cycle. And I went to all kinds of meetings, you know, for uh, the party or the the staff or this or that. Everybody looked terrible. So, um, you know, and they're like slumping in their chairs and the light is bad and they, they don't care. Um, how good does it have to be for whom? Yeah. Well, I mean... You know, there's something to be said for at least having, you know, like um, today, my lighting is is a little dimmer than normal for my sort of podcast setup. But like having your face viewable and and then as drummers, we can't be OK, check out this routine that I'm playing and, and the student can't see your hands. So we have to take all this stuff into consideration. Um but, you know, and remembering that you're on camera. I mean, I have a habit of looking right into my lens, even if my monitor is over there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm always trying to speak directly into the eyes of the person that I'm with. That's super that important. All the time. See, there's yeah. my camera and there's my monitor. Yeah. And so sometimes it's like that. And you'll get at the top of my head. Yeah. There's yeah. an awful lot of things to get right. And there are more to get I wrong. On, on the rig, you know, behind me over at the drum kit, I actually have the, you know, the camera coming down from the ceiling right in front of the monitor so I can 
I can have this quick, you know, up and down. But at my desk, when I'm when I'm coaching and, and doing this kind of stuff, um, my monitor is here. So if if I'm looking at your face, you know, we're not making eye contact. So I'm very conscious about staring here and not here. <laughs> um, you know, so eye contact is a huge thing. I mean, it's we're making connections with people where and and you can't really show interest if you're like this. <laughs> so you know, if, if you're looking over here, they're afraid that you're you're surfing on Amazon trying to buy, you know, some treats for your it's dog. Black Friday deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Host, though, you got you got notes, you know, you've got to hear what Indeed. the person is saying and actually listen and respond. But you also have an agenda to move through. Yeah. And you're looking at all these places. And then am I popping, popping my peas? You know, there's there's just a million things to do wrong. And I've done only 100,000 of them. All of them. In <laughs> fact, um, I just did it. I, I try to be very conscious of saying, um, a million times, mm -hmm. which, uh, Dom, my mentor was always Toscano enough with the ums, <laughs> you know, he, he booked me on my first couple of clinics and, and, and I know, you know, speaking to a crowd for the first couple of times, you know, you, you take a pause and rather than you feel so uncomfortable to pause and get a thought. So you're immediately saying, uh, um, well, yeah, so. Stanton told me that one of the biggest things he learned was it's okay to have a bit of silence. It's yeah. okay somebody asks you a question, you think about it for a second. Indeed. Yeah, well, that also just... gives what you say a little bit more impact. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, think of that as a, as a musician, you know, space. Mm -hmm. Total. You know. We, we have drummers, to we also have that. to be especially aware of that because we're one of those instruments that don't have to stop playing to breathe. Indeed. Guitar, piano, those kind of instruments have a tendency to play too many notes because they can. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, um, I do have to remind my students to breathe because you'll notice that last night I actually had um, my, my young student Antonio in here doing his, uh, recording his, auditions, pre-screening auditions for Juilliard and, and Manhattan School of Music. So I had a trio in here playing with him and I kept looking over at him and his face was like that. It looked like he was playing trumpet. Mm. And I was like, dude, breathe, let it out, breathe, <laughs> breathe in, breathe out. Don't hold your breath the whole time you play. Tension goes from here to here to here. So pay attention. Don't have tension. <laughs> Uh, see, there's an A-bomb. There's always a few. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, Hamilton talks I'm always, about... The, the line I'm always using is, don't think, pay attention. Nice. Because, you know, if you're in the process and you start getting in your head and thinking about things, that's interfering from just reacting and responding. Indeed. And the <laughs> thinking process is something that's usually done when you're shedding and you're you're doing stuff, but... I'm I'm really somebody that could benefit by some of your wisdom and your knowledge because I'm really, you know, I'm a Stone Age man when it comes to the technology. And uh, but I've been able to, you know, put up my little zoom camera and get the right angle, have it go through FaceTime or whatever, and at least enough to transmit the content that I'm trying to do. Right. It may not be the slickest thing. But I'm more concerned with the substance of what the uh, situation is. And uh, these days, like you said, there's so many people 
that have so much gear and have the gear savvy, but they don't really have the substance. And I think it's very easy for people to be blinded by the style more than what the depth of the content is. Indeed. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. What you're what you're doing is bringing, you know, the whole package to the table, which is necessary, ideally. Right. People want to see something that's going to pull them in and be able to hear good audio, have good visuals, you know, be able to mix things up from above, side to side, the feet. It's a great thing to be able to have that together. And, you know, it, it to that point, it also presents the opportunity. So I was able to, over the pandemic, do drum clinics from home. So that's something, you know, I wouldn't have thought of doing before. And having the multimedia kind of setup allows that to be a little bit better visually, right? So if I'm, if I'm doing uh, a section from my book on, on fills and, you know, I want to show from above kind of what the hands are doing on a particular or- orchestration or something, or it's using a particular foot technique so I can go to my foot cam. So it provided that opportunity for doing these clinics and then getting involved with helping to run drum clinics online, which is, you know, a whole nother avenue that we can go down, right? So... Well, there are two, the, there's basically two different approaches. There's pre-record and there's streaming. Indeed. Right? Lessons are streamed. That's live. What we're doing here is live. Pre-record's a different animal. You may use multi-cameras. You may edit in post. You may go into Final Cut or whatever you're using. Um, that's a lot more work. Yeah. Generally, and a lot of different gear. Yeah. Then the, so we do both, and the, I'm, this is not the rig I use for other things. Again, you know, like when you think about opportunities coming up with this kind of thing, the other thing that you know a lot of guys are starting to realize these days is that, let's say you're teaching, you know, you can handle X amount of hours per day of lessons, and so you're teaching online or in person. Those slots fill up, and now you have a waiting list because people want those same slots and they can't really fit anywhere else. And so how do we deal with, with, you know, the waiting list issue or, or just getting your content out to people that may not want to come in person or be on zoom. They like watching, you know, we have this YouTube generation that wants to watch everything on YouTube or, or on a video model. So you can use this exact same rig to prepare some pre-recorded content, build a course model where you have passive income, you've done the work, you put the time in, you film your content at a very high level, you're teaching something of value that maybe someone else isn't offering. And then now you have this course model and that's, you know, that's going to provide income for something that you put in the sweat equity, you put in the time, you, you, you shed it for years to do it. And now you're teaching this thing that, that is available 24-7, 365 days a year, and you can go about your teaching and, and potentially teach a little less and have a little time for yourself, a little, you know, family time, dog time, walking in the park time, meditation, whatever you're into. So, you know. All right. Well, let, let's, I promised some people some spots. Let's do a couple here. Take yeah. a short break. These are only 15 seconds, folks, and there's only two of them. So please sit tight. Here we go. New from Bopworks, it's the Stick Station. Stick Station attaches easily to any rim and makes quick work of changing from sticks to brushes. 
Stick Station is available at BobWorks.net and from fine percussion retailers. The stories that go on, I mean, if these walls could talk, holy mackerel, we'd all go to jail. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, by the way, I offer these uh, cross-posting to anybody who wants to do it uh, on uh on their Facebook page when I go live in exchange for ads or mentions or things like that. So um, let me a couple little more things on this. And then I get back to Jim Toscano, the, the artist, the, the educator. Um, if you're going to do a podcast before the time, before the pandemic, you know, there was a few podcasts out there. Now there are millions of them. <laughs> yeah. um, everybody has one and that's a good thing, but should anybody expect to make a dime at this? No. <laughs> no. I mean, you know, think about... It, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is this. It, you know, that would be great. Um, there's so many podcasts happening. So, you know, views, you know, what are the numbers? You know, we were talking about earlier, you know, off camera. Um, people that live stream and sort of put up content. You know, you have somebody like... Rick Beato that does a video cast and he has, you know, millions of followers. Uh, so he's monetized. He's definitely, you know, providing something that is bringing returns. I mean, he will say that basically the return is coming from selling his course. Um, so it's a way to promote that, mm -hmm. but he is monetized. You know, the YouTube, uh, algorithm suggests, uh, Rick Beato pretty heavily. And he's good at it. I mean, he's, he's really good. good at it. He's in Atlanta. Um, he's a it's a great show. Yeah, and he, he's extremely knowledgeable, and he just has a personality that's kind of easygoing and and easy to follow, mm -hmm. and to watch. And but I think the the expectation, you know, it's sort of with everything we do, go into it because you love it, and because you want to put a message out or you want to connect with drummers. You know, my live stream thing that I did for the last two years, I stopped during my cancer year, um, we'll say, but, um, the two years previous and it's coming back in January, uh, you know, it's not monetized. I was not making anything. And, and it really was just connecting with drummers and having this conversation about what we love and just nerding out on records and, you know, talking about, somebody's playing or talking about, you know, being on the road or gigging or, you know, whatever the case may be, but it's something that we love and we do it for that reason. First and foremost, I agree the reason completely. we started doing this. Right. But you need millions of hits to make any money. Let's just, and I, I promote this yeah. stuff across many, many channels and I get two, three, four, 5,000 hits. I'm delighted with that, but you, that's not enough to sell any ad time for or anything like that. So just right. so people know, it's very important. I think what we're doing here, but that's why we're doing it. But yeah, don't it's got to be a labor of love. Yeah, indeed. And you know, I'll find the same goes for the guests. I mean, you know, I'll have guys come on that are that are friends or or drummers that I've connected with that come on and they're really eager to share stories and they like the questions. And, you know, that they never bring up, oh, is, uh, you know, is there any, you know, what's going to, what's going to come from this? There's no expect, you know, expectation right. of a return. And, um, you know, sort of Billy Cobham did two episodes back to back and we just went deep on, on records and his playing and mm -hmm. education and, 
you know, we just had this great connection. And so I think we really have to do it out of the love to just share the the stories. And I, I was really trying to share some questions that maybe guys weren't asked, you know, being really thoughtful about that. Right. But again, you know, the, the end game was, is not money. The end game is to get some stories out there and, and share. So yeah, the end game is I'd like to see videos like this with Shelly and Max yeah. and Philly Joe and, you know, uh, all yeah. those guys. And we don't have that. And Adam. And Adam. Well, he's, he's with us now. I'm talking about <laughs> 50 years ago. I yeah, want to yeah, see yeah. These things on Mel and on uh, Tony Williams. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Elvin, you know. Go ahead, Adam. Right. No, it's just a fascinating uh, reality that we're living in now that we have at our disposal, you know, anywhere in the world. You have internet, you have a laptop or whatever. You have access to so much information that was never present before. What kind of disappoints me is a lot of times when I'm at gigs now, I'm not seeing enough young people. Hmm. And I think this medium is so valid and so important to the times we live in. But I think of my own personal experience, because I can't draw on anything other than that. The events that had the deepest impact on me were being in the room. Yeah. And, you know, going and hearing somebody live and as great as it is to be able to have this, you never forget when you were in the room and you felt that energy. One hundred percent. And I agree. It, it's important. And I always make a little spiel at the end of the gig. I'm looking out and I'm seeing everybody with no hair or gray hair. And I'm <laughs> saying, don't even ask the kids if they want to come. Grab them and drag them out and yeah. bring them out to experience the actual thing. Because what's that? Ain't nothing like the real thing, baby. <laughs> That's right. You well, have to do it while, while, especially while the elders are still here. And uh, for youngsters, they have to understand that. And, you know, this is a process that takes time. And the way they've grown up now with everything being instant, oh, I'll ask Siri, I'll ask, you know, Google. You can't Google what we do. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's yeah. why you practice. This is why you put the time in. You want to get to that point where you're not thinking, you're just doing it because you put in that time. And it's difficult for kids that are growing up now because everything is instant. Yeah. And it's it's important to realize there's so many benefits from what technology has brought, but you still have to go through that process. We're still human. We are not digital. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's it's necessary. You know, that's yeah. just me, man, because I I love this art form so much. And the music, and it's been so uh, amazingly satisfying for me, not on a monetary level, but beyond what money brings. Right. And, uh, you know, that's something that it's like I am just feel so much gratitude and feel so grateful. 
to been able to uh, experience some of the things that I've been able to. You know, that's it's worth more than money. You know. Yeah, man. You know, I would say, you know, one thing I try to do, like for instance, bringing students out to the Vanguard. You know, we're right here in New York. Like kids don't go out to live music. You're right. They're too busy looking at it on TikTok or Instagram or YouTube. So I'll grab some students and take them over to the Vanguard. You know, they'll meet John Riley and get to watch a great band play. And say that again. It will change their life. 100 percent. Yeah, exactly. And and that impact, you know, like you said, you'll always remember that the feeling and what you learn, what you take in. You're not going to learn that on any screen for sure. Uh, and, and to that point too, like last night, you know, my student recording his, uh, his Juilliard edition, you know, it was a chance for him to play with some older guys in a trio situation, which he didn't really ever get to do before. And I think he learned more last night than he has the whole time playing drums. You know, he got in the room with a great upright player, piano player and a horn player and just, you know, had that experience. So we, I think we need to push that as well, you know? Well, the whole drums. thing about, you know, playing drums, we're, we're really not considered and we really don't function as a solo instrument. We work, work with others. Right. And learning how to listen, learning how to help shape what's going on around you. These things are necessary and you can't do it if all you do is stay home and practice. Right. You'll get really good at practicing, but what about hearing? I mean, at the end of the day, I think the greatest musicians hear the best. Mm, and, yeah. and as a drummer, why are you going to get a job? If you want to play with other people, you know, you have to learn about that part of the process that needs to be done as well. I mean, for me, I think one of the greatest uh, lessons for young drummers is to play with experienced bass players. Yes. And and vice versa. You know, get together sure. with a great bass player. Have him tune you up a little bit. Yeah. They know what they want to hear. We don't play with drummers. We get vocabulary. We get ideas. We get things like that. And that's so important. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we have to, like what you said, the experience this young man had yesterday playing with people that were more experienced with him, that's invaluable. Totally. Yeah. And it elevated, you know, in the moment, we could see him elevating his process, you know, he stopped thinking, he started listening, he was smiling. So he was put on the spot, you know, in out of his comfort zone with these older guys that are all like, you know, looking at him over in the corner and he rose to the occasion. So, you know, they need that. Yeah. Let let me look at the other side for a second because uh, the Rolling Stones have a new album out and uh, it's pitch corrected. Got Mick Jagger singing with pitch correction. Wow. That's what I said. Wow. And uh, Motley Crue is out touring with tracks of the whole performance. There's video of you're hearing the drums, but Tommy's not at the kit. They're Millie Vanillying the whole thing. (laughs) Well, at least Millie Vanilli. Millie Vanilli wasn't even them. Yeah, yeah. You know, right. Yeah, that's true. He has the, the concert taped. 
and and they uh, are performing to it. At least it's them. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. You know, but <laughs> oh, still, we don't know what we're hearing anymore. Wow. Oh, that's just wow. I had no idea about this thing with Jagger. Yeah, pitch correcting Jagger is very disappointing. I listened to the first song because everybody says this new album is great and it's very well produced. Steve Jordan's playing on most of it. The drum yeah. sounds are amazing. The sounds are amazing. It's kind of like the 60s Stones with modern hip sounds. But okay. on the other hand, um, first thing I hear is Mick singing in tune. And then I hear vocal harmonies. And I realize this is pitch corrected. He can't do that. And, and Mick Jagger's a great rock and roll singer. I'm not putting him down. But let's face it. He's not a, 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 a crooner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's and, and there's and, a and certain there's, thing to that, right? Yeah, the Stones have always been the, the the opposite of slick, right? People say they were the first punk band. <laughs> we're getting because they were that they were raw and right. nasty, you know, and that was the appeal of the band. And to have it pitch corrected, uh, but the artists feel like they have to play this game too. They're going against mm. perfection everywhere they look. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that takes out the, the sauce and the syrup of, of the stuff, you know? We would agree. I don't know if anybody will notice it. Huh. Wow. In the real public. But uh, yeah. that one took me, took me aback. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's a little bit off topic. Um, <laughs> one more thing on this production stuff. Uh, I'm just looking at some of the things you're supposed to be comfortable with. Set decoration, lighting, multicams. Audio and my hair audio for drums and for <laughs> talking, switching, post production, editing, publishing, uh, promotion, you know, marketing. That's a lot of stuff to put on somebody. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I mean, I think you know, this whole thing about us wearing all these different hats, the, the one frustrating thing about that is at the end of the day, we just want to play, right? Or teach and play drums. <laughs> And then, you know, this is, this was David Garibaldi's point of like, he's like, oh man, you know, I'm spending so much time like trying to figure this stuff out. He's, he's like, I, I just want to play. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, we have to find a, the right balance, right? It can't consume everything. I did this over many, many, many years, right? So my set keeps changing, meaning, <laughs> meaning that I put some uh, clapboard on the wall back there behind my, uh, behind my my um panels so i had a student come in for half a day we threw up the clapboard and put the panels back up so you know i i try to um involve my students in this process they learn from it and at the same time i try not to let it really consume my life i mean i do find myself rather than making content i'm helping other people with their content a lot of the time so it's like the shoemaker thing right the shoemaker has no his family has no shoes because he's busy making shoes for everybody else um <laughs> but um you know we we're kind of in this in this thing right we have to learn how to edit video i mean right there there's a learning curve that you know is frustrating and again we can take this on many levels it could be very simple you know trimming the ends put on a fade to black and, and, uh, and a title, you know, uh, and then there's multicam editing where we're syncing audio with many cameras and, mm -hmm. and there's, I can make suggestions all day about how to speed up these processes and, and learn it. I mean, I'm learning a new program, uh, for me, which is DaVinci Resolve. 
And so I've decided that over the winter, when it when it's a little quieter, I'll be really learning that editing program because it's become a sort of a necessity for me. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's many ways to approach this. We do have to learn a little bit of all this stuff or we're going to go broke paying people to do it for us. Right. So, um, at <coughs> least if you learn some of the skills, it's going to save you a lot of money, but there has to be a little bit of a twinkle in your eye. When you think of tech, you can't hate right. it because my, my initial, uh, you know, I had a symbol company and I was doing advertising in magazines and it's two, three, four thousand $4,000 an issue. And they're every month yeah. and there's like five of them, you know, and I said, well, I can just start shooting video and started teaching myself how to do it and get some gear. And you could start off real easy. You know, you don't have to spend hardly anything to get moving. Indeed. And then take these on as you feel comfortable with it. Yes. To that yeah. point, I always say at the beginning of every time I speak about this stuff, and it was one of the first things I said at PASIC last year when I, when I did that clinic, I say... Don't be afraid to just jump in and do it with whatever you have. doesn't matter. It could be a webcam and a light bulb. Just start. I remember going it, live a few times at the beginning with no, no idea that it would work. <laughs> right. You just throw it out there, man. It's not the end of the world. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing is, that, you know, a lot of people are afraid to just put themselves out there. And they're so afraid of, you know, what the feedback is going to be. Is it going to work? You know, all the unknowns. There's a but that's what button, we do, man. There's a delete yeah. button. If you don't yeah, yeah, it, exactly. get rid of it and start over. And, and listen, you know, as musicians, that's what we do. You know, it's when, right. when you get in the room with some guys you've never played with, there's all the unknowns and mm -hmm. you learn to embrace the, the unknown, you know? So exactly. Uh, yeah. Hey, let me do a spot here. Another quick one for our friends at Hudson. Hey everybody. Yeah. How you doing? I'm this getting a cough drop. And today I wanted to tell you about how much I really love the music digital app. Okay. Now check it out. It's an app that you can get for your device and you can purchase books from the Hudson music digital store and have them stored right on your device. The great thing about it is you always have it with you and any content that might be video related or music related is right there at your fingertips. It's a wonderful resource. Right, well, that's kind of a bridge that ties us together because you can use that online. Those the, That Hudson Digital is fantastic. And it works very well in online settings. So let's talk about Jim Toscano, the, the drummer. Obviously, you're a drummer. You came up as a drummer. Give us a little little brief bio. All right, yeah. And by the way, that was Bobby Angeletto, who's a, who's a good friend of mine, was also a tech client of mine oh, yeah. <laughs> in, that, in that last spot. Um, so, yeah, so I, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn playing, you know, uh, in school band and local bands. I, I almost quit because of a, a teacher that was particularly uh, abrasive, <laughs> I might say. Uh, in the very, Yeah, yeah. I, I just had a teacher that was sort of nasty. And I, I remember, you know, I was maybe in seventh grade at that point or sixth grade or seventh grade and just being like, I don't want to do this anymore. It just wasn't fun. Mm -hmm. and Whiplash I was, experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was just, you know, he would just stare at me and then, and shake his head. Like he just made it such an uncomfortable experience. Not, Not that, cool. 
Yeah, it was not cool. It wasn't, you know, especially as a youngster, you want to share your passion and your, you know, the enjoyment of playing, right? And um, and sort of this guy just made me so miserable. Mm. And then the my next teacher was this guy in Brooklyn that it's funny because every once in a while I meet someone that studied with this guy that knows him. His name was Handsome Hal Parker. And uh, Handsome Hal uh, was total funny New York, like he lived in Sheepshead Bay. He wore like a really long ratty leather coat, smoked a cigar all the time. He wore gym shorts under his leather coat, which was concerning. And he had like a sort of a big Afro. He called it his Jufro. Right. Uh, sorry if that's offensive, but that's what he called it. And, um, and he had, a, people call it. I don't think that's he had a spray tan or, or, a, or he tanned, but just his face and his hands and wrists and his neck so that when he wore a tuxedo, his hands and his face were, were tanned, but the rest of him wasn't. It was very bizarre. Um, and that guy made it really fun. He was nuts. Um, he made it a good time. It's a bit of a questionable, questionable ethics. Uh, but anyway, he, uh, you know, he kind of got me to play as at a young age, as a kid, all of the dance rhythms, you know, sort of telling me, you know, I'm going to need all this stuff. And, and I, I believed him and I worked on it all. And I was able to start doing club dates at a, at a young age. Cause I knew how to play a mazurka or, you know, whatever right. rhythm was coming up. And, and so I did all of that stuff. Then I got into sort of playing uh, regional theater stuff, doing a lot of pits, uh, regional theaters, and then off Broadway and then getting on some Broadway sub lists as a lefty, I will say Ooh, that subbing is a tricky, tricky thing. That's tough. Especially no, no, I take that back. Kid. It's not tricky. It makes it almost impossible. It's impossible, <laughs> uh, right? Yeah. Because so Daniel Glass and I laugh about shit that. everywhere, right? What's that? Broadway pit is set up with shit everywhere. Yeah, there's and, shit everywhere. Uh, but not only that, it's you know, it's tight. Right. And and you know, as Tommy I goes, um, you know, like his Lion King setup, Joe B was telling me the uh the story, Joe Bergamini, um, you know, he had a list like that said what you could touch or move. And it said, you can move the floor tom height, the seat height, the snare height, and nothing else. <laughs> nothing else. So, you know, for me being a true lefty, a lefty on a lefty kit, um, yeah, there's no... Subbing is very difficult. So yeah. anyway, to that point, you know, Daniel Glass and I always laugh about that. It's like you just need other lefties as subs uh, <laughs> or you have to be the That's guy that initiated the show. Right. Uh, so I got into doing, you know, show stuff and then working with different cabaret artists, um, you know, different restaurant gigs and, and sort of playing these cabaret shows. So doing a lot of that kind of stuff and short stints with big bands. And, you know, I had a very short stint with the Vince Giordano big band, which was super fun playing twenties, uh, big band stuff. And, and mostly, you know, a lot of sort of club date stuff. And then I got into recording and, and so working with songwriters, which is kind of where my heart is. I love, working in the studio and recording with songwriters. So, uh, and that's still, you know, what I do a lot, mostly. And, and I record from home in my home studio here, which is part of my workflow is that I can do tracks for people from home. And then, uh, since, you know, since I went through my cancer journey, I'm back to 
going out to studios and recording again, which is nice. Uh, the last few weeks I've been out, you know, working. So I'm grateful for that. And, um, and sort of, you know, picking and choosing the gigs I want to do and putting a lot of time into education these days. And I've, I've always taught. So even, you know, driving to class during college, I would do house visits along the way or driving home. I would, I would teach students. So I used to bring a little, um, a drum machine and my books and my sticks and go into people's houses. And then in my mom's basement in Brooklyn, I, I built a teaching studio with two drum kits, two practice pads, a mirror, and, you know, did it from there. And so I've kind of always taught. In fact, when I was studying with handsome Hal Parker, I would take my lesson, which was $14 at the time, odd price, but 14. And then there were some kids down the block that would come over and they would give me five bucks each. And I would teach them what I learned in my lesson. <laughs> so I started, you know, kind of going through the teaching process at that point as well. Um, and hey, so you're yeah. an educator as well, but you also have a book with Hudson, right? A lot and of I have a book. Yeah. Is my own. I'm, uh, I'm, so I'm enjoying hearing, hearing your bio. Um, now uh, tell me about your book though. And I have so, it right here, by the way. Oh, cool, man. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Um, in the grooves, Jim so it's a, it's a 165-page, um, I like to think of it as an idea library, um, kind of organized in motifs. And so uh, Joe B. Um, subtitled this The Ultimate Guide to Drum Fills, um, which I appreciate. But, um, you know, it has basically, you know, 10 chapters of of various fill ideas. And then in the... In the um, sort of towards the back of the book, I made a section called Tribute, which is chapter 11. And I transcribed uh, fills of Simon Phillips, uh, Liberty DeVito, Phil Collins, John Bonham, Steve Smith, Billy Cobham, uh, Jeff Picaro, Stuart Copeland. Forget about it is the uh, GAD section. <laughs> 10 Steps to Tony. Um and uh, Ringo Starr, Todd Zuckerman, you know, so Neil Peart and, you know, on, on and on. And then play along charts in the book. Um, but I kind of organized it in this sort of something to inspire students to explore. There's over 700 drum fills in the book. And it's not sort of let's take this rhythm and then shift it on the grid and then shift it on the grid and then shift it on the grid. It's more of ideas that are developing different rates, developing different rhythmical ideas, different stylistic ideas, uh, functions where we're learning to kick figures that are swung, that are straight, um, learning to play in between the cracks. So we're filling while our time is happening, layered fills, you know, sort of, and this library kind of <clears throat> happened organically in my teaching. I was writing things down and writing down fills. And then, you know, eventually I pitched it to uh to joe bergamini who's my um editor on the book and and so i signed with uh wisdom media as far as the publisher and then it gets distributed uh as a paper physical copy through alfred and then it's in digital on hudson on the wonderful app uh and so you know all of the tracks and videos and everything are embedded in the book on the hudson app which is so cool that you can just click on the headphones and, you know, hear, hear the, uh, the example 
And, um, and I'm also a drum book nerd. I love drum books. I have piles and piles of drum books on my shelf over there. Um, but I love having the physical book too. So I'm, I'm kind of the type that gets the, the physical book and I get all the digital stuff and, and really try to immerse myself in, in the content, you know? Well, beautiful. Yeah, Adam, man. Anything else you want to add to this at this point? I think it's a great idea, man. You know, it's great to have things codified and to have literature, you know, so you can look at it and you can work on things. And, you know, at the same time, like you said, you have tracks in there. Like I said before, everybody's got to learn to get this together. You know, hearing. Yeah. So often, you know, I've seen transcriptions of drummers. And they may look very similar, but if you hear the two different drummers playing them, they sound so different. Indeed, yeah. And the other thing, which is something which I don't know if they'll ever figure out a way to do it, how you could transcribe feel. Mm. Right. <laughs> that's yeah. Big, that's an X factor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah indeed yeah yeah there's i think it's always nice you know and i think it's important that people you know it's good to see everything but being able to hear it too mm. so it's great that when you have something like this you have tracks and you have the right. you know audio representation right and and my hope is that people take this material you know i was uh, my buddy Dave Stanoke, I was on a Zoom call with him this morning doing a little troubleshooting on his rig, and uh, and he held up my book, and, I, and he said he's using it with his students, and I, I was like, I just seeing people plant the seed, you know, in other students, it's a wonderful thing, but really what I'd love to see is people taking the material and then reworking it, reshaping it, making it their own and then having their own versions of this material come out, you know, that's really What's the point your of it. opinion. You know, it, you're bringing certain facts and then you like to hear different people's opinions. Exactly. Exactly. That's look at like the three of us, for example, if we each sat at the kit and we played eighth notes on the hi-hat, one and three on the bass drum, two and four on the snare drum, that's all. Vastly different. Somebody's right? going to like one of us. Everybody's going to pick their, who they want for that and it's all going to be different for each person and that's all we're doing my first clinic back after being you know out of commission <laughs> for a long time healing um my first clinic back i and i think i stole this from somebody that i saw do it at PASIC, but i had 12 drummers in the room and six were on a dr drum kits at a time oh my god we have a similar dog <laughs> that's i'll Cosmo. talk about that in a second. but um Cosmo oh my god that's dog. hilarious um, I, I'll show you a picture in a second, okay. um, but I had six different drummers playing at the same time. And actually I brought them in one at a time and they all played the same groove, right? Mm -hmm. They all played the same written beat. Right. And everybody's feel was vastly different from one to the other. And I was mm -hmm. just proving the point that, you know, your internal time and your internal feeling and what you draw upon as a human is going to be vastly different than the next guy. And just to prove that point, you know, cause we were going to work on my book and do fills. I wanted everybody just to play time and see how that personality from everybody is different. Right. And it's, it's really remarkable that, you know, as you said before, Adam, it's, you know, you could take 
a bunch of drummers and play the same thing, but it's not the same thing. It's absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So indeed, man. Um, Oh my goodness. I'm going to be teaching in a minute. Yeah. Well, I was just saying we're coming up to an hour. Um, you've been more than generous with your time. Uh, Jim Toscano is our guest, Adam Nussbaum, my esteemed co-host. And nice. let, me get you, let me get you to focused in on. It. Oh yeah. <laughs> What's your dog's name? Cooper. Cooper. Yeah. Cooper he's what kind of, what he's, is Cooper? He's a golden doodle. He's enormous. Okay. Oh, he's, okay. He's like 80 pounds. His head's about this big. Oh, this, this guy's only 16 pounds of Bichon. Got you. Okay. <laughs> I had my dog on my show once. I had uh, my son off screen, and I would ask him, the, you know that old joke, uh, who's the greatest baseball player? Roof. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> I great. I went through a bunch of those. And in the end, I said, get out of here. And, and uh, the, the dog said, you think I should have said Daduca da Fonseca? <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> Hey, check it out. Come here for a second, Louie. So just so you guys can see, this my my next, uh, I like to call them my patients. My next patient is coming in. Come here, get on camera. You're on a live hey. stream. <laughs> welcome, welcome. So Louie's Louis, my next patient today. <laughs> well, farmers, it's a love thing, man. Totally, 100%. has been a wonderful guest. I think we Thank might have got you, to on Facebook. Thank you so much, man. This is super fun. Adam, I will definitely you. have you guys on my podcast come... January or February, if you guys would, would honor me. Uh, Anytime with that. you can't get anyone better, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. I'm going to go. Have a great here. Thanksgiving. Everybody have a great Have a Thanksgiving. happy Thanksgiving, guys. Thank Stay you, my safe. Guest. All right. Bye. Take care. Oh, uh -huh.